you can't just be constructive without emotion. You have to actually inject that this is a human being on the other end of this, and that they are going to resonate or not resonate with certain verbiage and words, like starting our direction with thank you for sharing that, because you're acknowledging that there was a bravery in sharing work that they were taking a chance on, right? Like when I talk about like a failure rich environment. Welcome to Design to Be Conversation, presented by Design to Be, and hosted by Design to Be founder and CEO, me, Rachel Weissman. Design to Be is a community for designers to grow their emotional intelligence. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how investing in their EQ has impacted their design career. In today's episode, I speak with John Delman. John is a director of product design at Twitter in San Francisco. He works within the design and research team focused on internal tools and product solutions. And John offers tactical advice for young designers on how to approach learning by embracing the courage to fail through his article, Let It Be a Lesson to You on Medium. He has over 20 years of professional design experience in both agency and in-house environments, working with brands such as Google, Apple, Splunk, and Samsung. Previously, he worked as executive creative director at Wayno, group creative director at Beyond, and a creative director at Huge. We dive into how to develop the courage to fail, while also how to learn through your failures to design your success. How you can weave more kindness and curiosity into your work through joyful relationships with others and yourself, as well as actionable ways to pursue greater learning by acknowledging when you fail and how to embrace your most authentic self. Welcome, John, to the show. John, I want to start with how we cross paths. So you joined the Slack group for Design to Be actually not too long ago, and you gave a great intro and uh, you mentioned <laughs> I see some, a little bit. Of I can't. Re- I know. I just can't remember what I said half the time. I'm like, someone's like, "You're so brilliant." And I'm like, "I have no idea what I said. I'm just gonna let it roll." <laughs> it's, yes, it's, yes, I did. <laughs> it's, it's rolling. It's rolling. But you then mentioned you're like, I am a big fan of the podcast, and I was like, okay, who's this guy? Okay, he works at Twitter, and let's see, let's see what he's up to. So I did some light stalking um, and I came across this article called Let This Be a Lesson to You from about a year and a half ago. um, So February 2020. And uh, the TLDR of the article is advice for young designers. And uh, while this is to young designers, I feel like this could easily be to designers of all ages. And I loved the article. So I reached out and here we are. And here we are. So yeah, so I'm super excited. That is all true. That is all true. <laughs> I think I, I, so I found your website and your podcast just through the Twitter sphere. And Frank, 
Bach at, at Headspace. I follow him. And he's lovely. I'm wearing I'm wearing his sunshine shop stuff right now. Um, and and he and he inspires me, right? And so I follow those kind of people that make me feel good, uh, remind me that I'm a human being and that we're all mm-hmm. fragile. And he was, you know, talk, talking y'all up. And I was like, oh, I'll take a look. And I was inspired. Like, I, first off, the, the list of people who you've talked to are like, oh, I want to hear what Jared Spool has to say, right? And, like, totally. and so I, I, I would go through and, and listen to some of them. And I realized how human everybody is because mm-hmm. you put people on pedestals all the time, just naturally. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's really apt in my world where I'm constantly talking to designers or constantly being in the world and kind of feeling like the other side of the coin and trying to explain to people of like, I'm a human being. I'm super fragile too. I get nervous. I, my voice cracks unusually sometimes, (laughs) you know, I I'm a human being and you're a human being and we, we can achieve stuff together. And so I, I was like, following my own advice. And I took a, I was like, Oh, I love getting into a Slack channel. I just like meeting people. And I just, I I run a little Slack channel myself, just of like former colleagues and friends. It's just a way to like be around people devoid of actually being able to be around people right now. So like I yearn for just to have conversations with people and, and then you reached out and I was humbled and I was you know, because I, I, once again, I look at the, the list of people you spoke to, and I was like, how do I fit into that? That's odd. But then you look at, you have to be a little bit honest with yourself and go, <laughs> I guess somebody wants to talk to me. I'm not terrible at everything. So like, and you reached out and I was like, I would love to do that. So here we are. And it's that article, that article's got a strange little history. So I came to Wayno. Um, I, I moved up to the Bay Area in 2017. I'd worked at Huge, and then I worked at a place called Beyond, and I'd worked primarily on Google. And I was I was looking to do product design, but in an agency setting. I kind of like the little of both worlds. I like the long tail of product design and really thinking through ideas and you know, like really getting it out into the world and coming back. And agency life doesn't really always provide that specifically marketing. You get it out there and boom, it's done. And you're on to the next thing. There's a, And I like the variety, but I wanted, I wanted something somewhere in between. I wanted the long tail without getting stale, but I also wanted the, the innovation with some stuff, substance. And mm-hmm. it was hard to find a, a gig that fit correctly in that. And Kind of just out of nowhere, late at night, I was like, I, I'll apply to Wayno. They've rejected me a few times. So I, I should apply to them anyway, because I saw a creative director of product design. And I was like, I'll try it, right? Like, what's the worst that could happen? They could reject me another time. And uh, that's fine. That's their right. And they reached out. And I felt that same way that when you reached out, I was like, why are they reaching out to me? Like, that I, I had held them on a pedestal. And so, you know, fast forward, I did the interview. People are lovely. They're, they're close friends of mine now. And, and I'm working there. And one of the things that had drawn me to Wayno was uh, Holly's voice and how he writes and just sort of the tone of their medium articles and sort of the honesty. And I was attracted to that. I didn't think I was a great writer, but I wanted to try. I wanted to try and get better. The only way to get better is to try things. I knew I couldn't get worse at writing by writing. And if it stunk, they wouldn't publish it, right? So 
there was no harm in it. Like some, someone for, for good or bad reasons had decided that it was okay for me to publish under their name. Uh, I was going to take advantage of that. So I was trying to think of topics and the topic of imposter syndrome, my own doubts, my own fears. Uh, it seemed like, <laughs> seemed like the thing I was really good at knowing about. So, mm-hmm. cause I was experiencing it literally in real time while I was writing it. So I just started to think of like, why do I have these fears of things? Like, where do they manifest from? How have I gotten over them in the past? How have I not gotten over them? And like, how did that make me feel? And like, what are these little tricks I've done to help me get over them? Cause I don't, it's not necessarily a, a math equation of like, you do this thing and you, this other thing happens. And, and it wasn't, it was a lot of understanding how I learn. I was never a great student. I don't want to say I was a bad student. I was like a BC student, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was smart enough to know how to do stuff and figure out systems, but not motivated enough or things didn't click with me in that way. And it wasn't like the book smart kid. I had bad instincts a lot of times too. I like to get into trouble. So I was sort of in between, but it was a there were some classes that resonated with me. And then I realized that I was, I don't think there's one single way of learning. I think we're all multimodal learners. Mm-hmm. And certain things are like little levers that that work for us. And for me, I was not a good reader, but I'm a good listener. So I listen to audiobooks. Yeah. And you know, there's this stigma of like, that's not really reading this and that, but it, it is really reading. <laughs> it's listening and digesting a story and and understanding it's how my brain makes sense of things. And when I stopped trying to be the perfect learner, I started learning things. When I stopped mm. trying to learn how other people learned and started just trying to learn and trying to be kind to myself and be forgiving of myself, then I learn things and I grow. And this didn't just sit in school, it sit into my career and taking chances on things and getting to me to where I'm now. I, I'm trying to be very forgiving of myself you know, in the way I learn, I, I'm slower at certain things and I'm faster at other things. And everybody else, I believe, is that way. And I think what was striking to me was at Wayno and at Twitter and at Huge and at Beyond and other places I'd work, I was surrounded by really smart, really good designers, really intelligent human beings. But I didn't see them from behind a lens anymore. I saw them in real life and I saw them and their flaws and their anxieties. And they were, some people were scared of things that I wasn't scared of. And some people were scared of the same things that I was scared of or or were good at the same things I was good at. And you start to get this visual of not, it's not just, oh, we delivered this amazing project and everybody was a rock star and it was super perfect. It was like, we had a lot of anxieties and some people were like scared of a thing and they overcame it and somebody else needed a helping hand and someone was there for them. And like, they were became human beings. And I wanted to expose that to the world of, you only see that polished, lashed version, but mm-hmm. you don't see the countless nights of, I'm no good. And this is a terrible design. And what am I doing here? And all that stuff that we all deal with, and we think we deal with alone. I wanted to expose that we all deal with it together. And that it's the last step. That's the difference is that it's not what you're scared of. It's, it's letting that hold you back. 
you know, I don't want to run away from the things I'm scared of. I want to run towards them. I want to, I want to make them less scary, but I want to embrace that they are scary. And that means they're important. So I want to run towards them and see if I can conquer it. If I can't, well, then I can't. But if I don't try it, I'm definitely not going to do it. Right. So like, might as well try it. And then I just need to rationalize what's the harm and it goes to applying for jobs, trying new designs, trying a new, trying a new discipline, switching career paths, meeting people, do, doing what we're doing right now, trying a thing, <laughs> right? That is, it's not easy, but it's not impossible either. You know, it, it just takes you running towards your fears, not away from it. Yeah. A lot of what you said deeply resonates. And from a, from a learning perspective, um, reading was always very challenging for me as well. And I've just started to figure out, say in the, in the last five years, um, just the way that I learn. And I enjoy reading the words on the page. It's hard for me. And people laugh at how big the font is on my Kindle. <laughs> and I don't need glasses. I can read it just fine. But for me to actually comprehend, it's it's very, very challenging for me. But I feel like also what you shared is such a story of courage and being able to run towards something, even though you're like... <laughs> um, is completely a story of courage, which is very inspirational in its in its own light. I think everybody does it. I think they just they're not kind enough to themselves to give themselves the credit. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I see people do really courageous things that I know are hard for them. Maybe not hard for me on some time, maybe exactly as hard for me as it is for them, right? Like public speaking always comes to mind. I'm good in certain public speaking forums. I'm not good in others, right? Like there are phone call I'm good at, video conference I'm getting better at, presentation of a deck or a design I'm decent at, decent, <laughs> uh, standing on a stage, I'm terrified. I have a. I haven't done it before, um, and I don't know if I do well. I worry about that physical three-dimensional space. My knees knocking together. Right, like the the imagination of what it is is probably not even remotely what it is, and it probably would be decent if I tried it. Right, and mm-hmm. I think everybody goes through that journey. The yeah, things are scary. Thus is life. And that's how you know it matters to you. If it didn't matter to you, you wouldn't really be scared of it. And then it wouldn't be worth trying in the first place. Like I look at that moment, that, that cold wash of fear, the stomach turning in 12 different ways is like, a reminder, this matters. This is important Mm -hmm. to you. Embrace that. It's important to you. Embrace it. Mm -hmm. Enjoy it. Go with it. Um, I always joke, like, after, like, public speaking or speaking, I'm like, someone's like, oh, how did it go? I'm like, I don't know. I time traveled. I started talking, and here we are. And I always say the same thing after the end. I'm like, that was so much fun. I should do that again. But the moments leading up to it are you're just a ball, right? And you're, like, trying to calm yourself down, but, like, not too much. And then you're hyping yourself up, and you're like, like I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm, I'm, maybe the power will go out, and then this will never happen. And you're like, but I'd be disappointed, right? Like, you, you – do that cycle. Everyone does that cycle. But to, uh, to, to believe the, the reason why imposter syndrome exists is because we believe that other people don't have it. We believe that everybody's got it and it's just us that doesn't have it. And they're like, oh, you don't belong here. We all belong here, but you don't. It's like, 
That's not true in any shape or form. Like everybody else I know has it in some areas. The people that matter to me and the people that we we applaud are the ones that don't let it hold them back. Mm-hmm. They know they have it and they know that they hate having it, but they don't stop doing a thing because they love it because they have it. They say, mm-hmm. you know what? Maybe somebody will eventually find out that I don't know what I'm doing as a designer and the jig will be up. But it would be like, until then, let's ride that. Like I, I joke all the time, like this could be the day where everyone just figures out that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I had a good run. I had a good 25 year run. That was awesome. It was great. Thanks for the memories. But like until then, you know, until that day when the world comes to a census, I'm going to keep going at it because I enjoy it. And I may never get fully over imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I may never, I'm, I'm sure I won't, to be honest, but I will get more comfortable in the space. I will get more comfortable in overcoming the fear. And it, it gets easier over time. It does. It. Uh, I hate to relate everything to running. And if you ask anybody who knows me, I apparently do relate everything to running. But it is like running. <laughs> uh, it is like it because it never gets easy. It gets easier the more you do it. Mm-hmm. But you have to go as quickly into pain and uncomfortableness as possible to get familiar in the space, to keep mm-hmm. going through it. And you let the, the goals at the end of the day drive you, not the moments that you're mm-hmm. in at that, you know, to mm-hmm. keep you back. So one thing that I wanna I wanna touch on is um in the article, you talked about paying it forward to help overcome imposter syndrome. Can you touch a bit? what that means and how it can help navigate imposter syndrome. It's not just imposter syndrome that I use it for. I've realized after Mm. a couple of years after this article, I realized I'm doing it also when I don't feel good when I'm unhappy. I also try and do good things for people to not only feel like if I can't be happy, someone else should be happy. And then maybe that residual happiness will rub off on me and make me happy. I feel like if it doesn't rub off on me, at least somebody else is happy at the end of the day. So I've done something. I do that. Paying it forward in this regard is similar. I feel like it does a few things. It um, it does good things for people, which I love doing. I think that's kind of like our only purpose in the world is just to to do good things for people. I think that's, I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't believe that that's a problem with too many people doing nice things to each other. There's too much kindness. I really need to regulate that. I, I don't see that as an issue right now. So until that day, I'm going to over flood the system with, with kindness. It also reminds me that I know stuff. And, you know, when I'm blocked on things, like I can't figure out how to do an after effects thing because that interface is awful and I still can't get it after all these years. And I still struggle with these random things in there. And I stop and I want to just throw the computer out the window. I'll go and talk to someone and help them out with some other problem. Just to remind myself, I do know some stuff (laughs) that I'm making someone's life better and that I have the ability to learn because the thing that I just explained to someone, I also didn't know at one point in my life and I learned it. So I could therefore learn other things too. And so that paying it forward not only puts some goodness into the world and helps other people overcome, they could be feeling imposter syndrome or doubt or hitting roadblocks too, Mm -hmm. but it also reminds you that you're good at stuff. You know stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's 
people we don't i was just talking to a friend before this and and i said you know we're so quick to be critical we're so we should be quick to be kind we should tell people mm. more often like you got an awesome radio voice or you're an amazing designer and i've just always like for no other reason just to tell someone like here's something nice about you just because i'm thinking about it like we we feel like that would be weird or creepy mm. but why would that be creepy to just be kind to someone there's no harm in it. And I'm not saying like go crazy and like constantly be telling them because it would start to lessen the value over time. But I believe that being kind to people has a residual effect, not just a positivity. It allows people to push down their fears that hold them back, to try something new, to embrace the curiosity, which requires bravery and requires new worlds, right? Discovering new worlds is brave expedition kind of thing. And you need to like tamp down your fears to make that leap. And I think sometimes it can just come from somebody going, hey, you know that thing that you don't really think that highly of? You're pretty amazing at that. And like, just that moment can like, it can change someone's mindset. And like, Mm -hmm. why not do it? If you're thinking it, why not say it? Like, you would say it if it was a critical thing because you feel like you'd be doing them justice, right? Like, I got to tell you this critical thing because I care about you. It's like, but we don't turn around and say, like, I told you this kind thing because I care about you. Because yeah. that's that's almost more important than the critical thing. Yeah. Yeah. The And there's one other thing with that is we don't realize when you say something kind to someone else, the impact that it might have on that person. So I remember I, I said something to, I'll say like person I was like kind of friendly with and just said something just one of the first days that I met them and I was on a uh, retreat and the last day they pulled me aside and they were like, that thing that you said to me, um, you have no idea how much that meant to me. And it just made this whole retreat incredible. And I was like, what? <laughs> right. Um, first, you're like, what did I say? I don't even remember. And then you're, yeah. and you probably didn't even think terribly hard about what you said, right? Not, it was natural to it you. It was completely, completely. And it probably made you feel good. You're like, well, naturally, exactly. I'm a nice person. <laughs> you're like, we don't, we're not kind enough to ourselves a lot of times, right? And we say, I'm a good person. People like me in this world. You know, enough to like, I've had a positive impact on people. There are things I've done wrong in the past that I feel bad about, or I've made amends for, or I was young and I didn't know any better. We, we're we not kind enough to ourselves. We're only, we seem to, and I don't know why, we've seemed to equated kindness with dishonesty. And I don't see those concepts as different kindness and honesty are just you can be kind and a liar you can be kind and honest you can be rude and mean and honest rude and mean and a liar like it's just a box chart in my brain like Mm -hmm. those things don't necessarily have anything to do with each other but we've put them together for some weird reason of like kind people must be dishonest (laughs) and people who are rude must be honest. It's like, I don't know if that's true. I don't know anybody in my world who's like, Oh, because they're so mean to me. They're just honest. (laughs) I think they're just rude. Like the honesty part is so second. They're just rude. And the kind people are like, Oh, you're kind. And I don't really go. Are you honest or a liar? And just, I, you know, I resonate on their kindness. 
Yeah, the, a fine line with that. And I feel like we could dive really dive into all all that for quite some time. But like authenticity and what's your intent with each interaction is really what can drive how things are received and should sway people's <laughs> understanding of the Ooh. of the delivery. I think we've over-indexed on humbleness. I think mm. most people don't quite understand being humble, right? You get this weird, the humble brag, you know, the humbleness when you just can't. We think the word humble really means I can't take a compliment. <laughs> and they, they somehow smash to each other. It's like taking a compliment is normal. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're an egomaniac. If someone says, you look good today, love that hat. And you go, thanks. I really like this hat too. That doesn't make me an egomaniac because I like this hat. By the way, if you can't see this, this amazing hat. So like someone complimenting on that, that's okay. Like imagine that other side. So you've complimented someone before. I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. Um, you complimented someone before and they go, eh, fine, thanks. It makes you feel like, oh, did that, did that make them feel weird? Should I not compliment them again? Right? Should I? Do they think? Do they think I'm not distrustworthy? Right? That is a problem. That I think it's delivery, but it's also you have to learn how to accept criticism, but you also need to learn how to accept compliments in the same way. And it goes into how I approach art direction in that regard. Like, I think that you should deliver the positives first not just because it opens the ears, it because it's actually direction. I think when you tell someone what's working, you've given them a post in the ground to say, this is working. Now, when you pivot to what can be worked on, they don't spin around in 360 degrees. They know what's working and they can tack towards that. That was too much of a nautical reference, but they can go towards that thing. And it's not a psychological thing of like, I'm saying this nice thing to you to make you feel good so you'll listen to me. It's more about that's a better way to give direction. If I told you, if I just flipped it in the same tone mm. and everything and said, here's what's not working, you're going to waste a lot of time and you may not even hear that second part because you're trying to figure out what's working. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to tell you what's working and it's going to miss that. So start with what's working. People are like, oh, that's working. I do this. I do this well. I did this well. And you're like, here's what I think could work. They're going to migrate towards that other thing. That's actual direction. Mm-hmm. I know it's it's wrapped in kindness. And once again, we're, we're adverse to kindness because we don't think it's honest or genuine, but it actually does have a basis in direction. And I've, I've gotten the best results, not only when I've been received direction in that way, but when I've given direction in that way. <laughs> that environment of on a team, I think, is, is key. It's, I don't know if I categorize it as kindness, but I categorize it as an understanding of positive words in people's ideas around constructive criticism. <laughs> you can't just be constructive without emotion. You have to actually inject that this is a human being on the other end of this and that they are going to resonate or not resonate with certain verbiage and words like starting our direction with thank you for sharing that because you're acknowledging that there was a bravery in sharing work that they were taking a chance on, right? Like when I talk about like a failure rich environment, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 
an environment where people feel liberated to take chances, to share, and that that sharing is welcomed. It's at least acknowledged. You could share a thing and it's not working, but if it starts with an acknowledgement of the bravery and the thanks for taking the time to do that, we're off to a good start, right? Like that's encouraging the behavior moving forward. And I think the best work will come out of that because I think that just doing the same thing or working out of perceived what I might like or fears of what I might hate, which is worse, I don't think that gets the same best work. And what I think it actually gets is a kind of a pale version of what we already have yeah. because it's safe. It's, it's below. I like vanilla. I hate to knock vanilla ice cream, but it's like less than vanilla. It's what it's water. <laughs> almost. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I don't need teams to go crazy. Although I love a bit of crazy. I want teams to, to feel empowered, to take chances and embrace not getting it, right? Failure, the lack of success, not the the emotional resonance of I'm a failure or I'm a bad person because I have not succeeded. It's just the lack of success. And then we can divide that into like, how did we become non-successful in this? What learning environments did we get into, right? Like, how can we make little adjustments to make it more successful? Like the kind of safe space for for not just designers, anybody, I think, is kind of the team model that we, I think we're all kind of swirling around right now, very visually in the world. And I think it's the one we're all trying to build, uh, but it's, uh, it has to be deliberate. It's not, it can't just happen through you know, osmosis or something. I'm curious if you can share a time that you failed possibly in a design project or as a manager or how, whichever way you want to take it, but what categorized it as a failure? And uh, how did you navigate this failure? And what did you learn from it? So it happens all the time, all the time, daily, daily. I fail, but they're micro failures. There's a decision in a meeting or a comment in a meeting that I think about, and I may be misphrased or it's working through a problem and I ask the team to design something because I can't see it right at the moment, but I need them to do the work and then they bring it back and it's not working. So what do I do? I thank them. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for humoring me. I needed to see it to know if it's working or not. It doesn't happen a lot of times. I think most of the time you can kind of suss out like well, that idea doesn't feel quite right. Let's explore it anyway, but you know, let's not put a lot of stock in it. That is normal. That's exploration. The big failures are the ones you remember, right? Like the micro ones are, it's living and learning. You stub your toe, you move on. It hurts, but it doesn't hurt for very long. Or you almost stubbed your toe and you just move the thing so you don't stub your toe later. The biggies are, the, are they're failures for specific reasons. For me specifically, they are, I knew better and didn't change. That's why mm-hmm. that failure stuck with me because I knew better. And for whatever maturity or fear or some other thing I can't, I need a therapist to unpack. I didn't change (laughs) it until later. And then it was a big deal, right? So when I first became a manager, I was a good designer, a good senior designer, a decent art director. I got the gist of it, but I struggled with time 
management skills at that point. When I became a legit manager and there were people's careers under my wing, so to speak, I stunk at it. I was bad at it because I failed to realize a few things that I now know. Um, it was a totally different job than being a designer. I was a good designer because I was good in getting in my head and getting focused and working late into the night and doing my thing and being my weird, you know, introspective self. And that was good for that job, that job specifically and in my life. When I was required to understand other human beings and how they work, I had no, <laughs> I had no blueprint. I didn't understand people. And I thought that just making them me was the way to be a good manager, mm-hmm. which is could not be the most opposite of a thing. So I was A, rooting for them to fail because they weren't me. I was a little bit intimidated when they were better than me. I was a junk manager. I wouldn't even want to be managed by me. In fact, I know I wouldn't want to be managed by me. And I stunk at it. And my team didn't like me because they're good people. They shouldn't like someone like me at that point, right? And I left that job. Not because of that. I left that job because I wasn't happy mostly. <laughs> and I went, I became an individual contributor again at another place. And I said to myself, I'm never going to be a manager. I once again wrongly equated the scenario of like, I just don't have it within me. I don't, I'm just not the type of person who could manage people, I said, which is not even remotely true. It doesn't work that way. There's no like, you're not born knowing how to manage people to be digital designers. That's not like a natural instinct, like in the world that doesn't exist. That's like a manufactured thing only in the last 1.01% of history, right? Like even less than that probably. And it's a learned skill unto itself, right? Mm -hmm. So I was an individual contributor at a place and I enjoyed it. I moved up to uh, San Luis Obispo to work at an agency there, mostly because I wanted to work on Apple and Apple was one of their accounts. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being in the weeds. I enjoyed working on these, these, these brands that I loved, this brand specifically that I had a lot of imposter syndrome over of like working on. And I was enjoying it though. I was enjoying being like, I'm an Apple designer, I do all these things. And someone's like, you should manage someone. You're old enough and you, you've been here long enough. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be a good manager. And my manager at the time was like, just try it. Just try it. If if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But just try it. You might like it. You talk a lot and you love a lot of things, (laughs) right? You don't don't doubt that I talk a lot. Um, And you love a lot of things and you love a lot of things openly. I think the team would benefit from you at least being a mentor. And so I went into that again, and I kind of started to feel like I was getting back into familiar vibes of like, I'm going to overmanage them, and they're going to not like me, because I'm not going to be likable, because I don't think you can be likable and be a manager. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just be you. Just be you and understand their world and care about them. And I was like, care about them? And he's like, care about them, care about what matters to them. Like the thing that you love may not be the thing they love. Find out the thing they love and embrace it, figure it out. Like treat them like their careers matter to you more than your career matters to you. And I started to think about it. It's like to be a manager, you need to like people. You need to 
care more about them than you do about your own job and realize this very simple equation that you actually work for them and that you're working for them. Like you're making their career is your goal. This department that, that they're in, you need to make that good for them. You need to make that rewarding for them. Like, then you don't you aren't a manager without them you can't just be a manager of nobody right you're you're not a manager at that point you need people to be a manager for and you need to serve them and the relationship has to be flipped they get all the credit when it's good and you take all the brunt when it's bad that is not only management but as i'm learning the four years in it's parenting too <laughs> so <laughs> There was a lot of things that I didn't understand in my management. I was a parent. I'm not saying you have to be a parent to become a manager. It helps a little bit. <laughs> it's not the same, but it helps. Once I turned a corner of this isn't about me anymore. This is about them. This is about enjoying them and liking them and just feeling that pleasure of like you enabled, you cleared the field for them to do cool stuff that maybe you couldn't even do yourself. A lot of times, actually, the older I get and the the better my teams are and like the crazier the software gets, like they do stuff I can't even remotely do. And I love that. Like I'm inspired, Mm -hmm. encouraged. I'm not intimidated anymore. Like it's exciting to be able to like enable that. Like then I found a lot of joy in management. I found a lot of joy in like creating environments where people can be you know, empowered, enriched, happy, the work got better, right? And like the the opportunities for me in my career slowly started to blossom. Like, I don't know, I was just a happier person, less stressed. And it was just yeah. a simple change of, it wasn't about me anymore. It was about other people. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out. And I feel like one thing that in a way you said throughout that entire story was you were curious and open to receiving feedback. And not initially. Yeah. Not initially. No, I hated feedback. Feedback was like, it was like, oh, feedback's a gift. I'm like, at that time in my life, feedback was a gift of flaming dog poo at the door. It was not a gift. It was yeah. not a gift. It is now, it's a gift because I'm asking for feedback. There's a difference in receiving feedback and mm. asking for feedback. I think. When you give feedback to people who aren't asking for it, it's a very different level of feedback. And you have to get to a mental state where you want people to be honest with you, but you want them to also be kind to you and reinforce some things that you think are good about yourself and help you get better at the things that you worry you struggle with and maybe expose some things that you didn't even know you didn't do well. I think that thing is the thing that we're all scared about is that someone's just like, I thought it was really good at that. And they're like, no, you're terrible at that. Everyone hates when you do that. You're like, oh man, I thought that was really good at that. Like that's happened, right? Like where early on in my manager career, that first time I thought I was a good, effective manager. I was like, the trains run on time. Everything is happening. And like my manager at the time was like, I don't think the team likes you that much. And I was like, what? Why? And he's like, well, you're, you're pretty harsh on them. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, like I made some rationalization. They're, they're bad people or whatever, whatever. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand the stress I go through. 
And that was just deflecting. And I just wasn't ready to hear that feedback, right? I wasn't ready to understand that. I just wasn't ready to change. And like, I think there was a point in my life where I was like, I'm ready for something new. I'd moved up to a new place. That was a change in my life. I was on an account that scared me. That was an embracing of bravery. And it just became this, this, you know, stair step of like, I'm ready to try new things. And I think I've just kept going Mm -hmm. through that, like one new thing and accomplishment. I was like, I could try something else. And it just kept going for it. And I just, uh, it's ne- it never gets less scary, but, it, <laughs> but I, but I still feel like I can keep going, you know what I mean? Like, and just, and, and it keeps working to some extent. <laughs> I don't know, perfectly, but a little bit. Completely. And one thing that you spoke about um, in the article is about putting in the time. And one thing that I, I loved about your career trajectory is I especially remember when I was just starting my career and you very much, at least for me, I viewed my career very much as a ladder. Um, It was you go from junior to senior to lead to manager to senior manager to blah, 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 blah. And I love that your career did not take that path. And you decided to be a manager and then you're like, whoa, and then, and then came back to being an IC. And then there was an opportunity to be a manager again with a slight little love tap. <laughs> and then it, was, it wasn't this ladder. It was more of a lily pad of hopping and hopping and hopping. So I'm curious if you can talk a bit about putting in that time and how curiosity is a vehicle for navigating these kinds of explorations? It, I think it's less about, for me, it was less about curiosity and more about, once again, understanding how I learn mm. and how I grow and being kind to myself again of like, I don't have to be a title at a certain age. I don't have to be a thing at any point in my life. I learn at my own speed. It's not a sport. Nobody learns. Nobody gets a medal for learning faster or slower. Uh, it's, it doesn't matter. It's I, We learn at the rate we learn it. Some things I'm very good at naturally to my brain makes perfect sense. And other people don't get it. And, I, and it takes them years and years and years and they finally get it, right? And I love that joy. By the way, when you see something that you love and you get and they finally get it, you're like, yes, that moment. And you're kind of a little sad because you're like, I, I missed that initial moment. And then there are things you're like, I just don't get it. My brain doesn't work that way. I don't think in that manner. I don't I don't navigate the world in that manner. And being honest with yourself of like, I wasn't ready to be a manager. I love design style. I wasn't going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I love the field and I love digital design. I just wasn't good at managing because I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't, I wasn't mature enough to, to ask anybody for help. And I wasn't mature enough to even diagnose what I was, why it wasn't working for me. I just thought it was, I wrongly thought it was just something inherently in me that I was just never going to be a manager. And it took some outside forces to remind me that I'm good at things and that I could do it if I just reframed the problem in my brain. There's a bit of bravery. I think there's a trying, taking a different title is a little bit scary for some people because 
there's an ego to it of like, oh, I'm not, I'm not the stature I used to think I was, you know, and maybe the salary isn't the same. And that's a real thing. And I, I understand when people make those decisions and, and they hem and haw of it because that's a real thing. Like my ego doesn't pay the rent, but the, but the money does. And that matters. And that matters. And I don't want to discount that in, in people's lives. I think what worked for me was I was start. I was at the point in my life that I was starting to become honest with myself, like truly honest with myself about what I was good at, what I wasn't good at, and why I wanted to do things. The why was a thing I'd never really embraced, and why I want to be a manager seems to have lasted with me longer than whether I am a manager or not, or whether someone believes I'm a manager or not embracing why I like being a manager, why I would want to become a manager, allowed me once again to focus on the things that make a good manager, I think, right? Like I wanted to become a manager because I was starting to share a lot of myself with the outside community. I would send this news, this stupid little newsletter across the agency I worked at of like links I was into. And I was so into icons. I still am. But like, I was really into it. And like, I wanted to share with people. And I wanted, mostly because I want to share myself with people. And I want to share that. And that's a lot of management. Sharing who you are and your experiences naturally goes right into mentorship. And I, I start, was starting to enjoy that. And the titles weren't really strange because the titles weren't important at that point. Like I'd become an art director at another place and I'd hated it, right? And like, <laughs> I come back and I was like, someone's like, well, you should be an art director. And I was like, I don't know about that. Can I at least do some of the things as a senior designer like an art director might do? And eventually you make me an art director is fine. You know, like after that, it was like, the titles matter. They're cool, but they're not, they're, they're like cool for like a hot moment. And like, but if the thing that the, the daily is junk and it's stressful and it's awful, it's not worth it. Like mm-hmm. the why keeps you going. Like mm-hmm. the why keeps me going on tough days. The why keeps me going on a tough run. The why keeps me going on a tough learning journey, right? Like, why am I trying to learn how to do this thing in After Effects? Because the end result is really fascinating to me. And I feel like it's arms like I can reach it. I can so close, but like, I got to remember that because that's going to get you through the dark times. Like, like not only the reminder that I'm good at stuff, but what am I trying to do this for? If I'm just trying to do this for somebody else's praise or something other than like a paycheck, it's not going to be enough, at least for me to keep me going on a thing. It's got to be something deeper than that. It's got to be something that I like nothing else is tapping into, like that pleasure of like our team meetings where I love seeing the team and or like a project where like we've built something together or or just marveling at my design team with their big brains and their, their amazing enthusiasm for the work. And just sitting around people and going, wow, I get to talk about design with some really cool people who are genuinely good people all day long. Like that's going to get me through like the spreadsheet I hate or some bureaucratic nightmare or, or a really tough client, which always seems to happen at an agency, right? Of like the client who just hates you for what you remind them of something and they hate you or they just, they don't know what they want and they don't, they don't want to go with your agency in the first place. They hate you. <laughs> like, 
that happens. Like you gotta, you gotta go towards the things you love and remember the things you love because they're the ones that get you over the hump. So Com- completely, completely. Yeah. And, uh, in the design to be training, we talk much, much, much about finding your why and what intrinsically motivates you, which can then really guide you to finding more meaning and purpose in in your career. But that's a conversation for another time. We're gonna let's switch to wrap up a question. So we've touched on a bunch of different topics today, John, and. Anywhere from imposter syndrome to having more courage to failure to paying it forward to curiosity to really honoring your journey. I'm curious if you can, if there's one thing that you can ask of the folks listening that relates to what we spoke of today, maybe one thing that they could get started, what would it be? I tell people to forgive themselves. We're too hard on ourselves. We don't realize that there was a point in our life when we didn't know how to do any of this. And now we know how to do some of this. And we don't reflect on, look what we've accomplished. We have the ability to do this thing. So what makes us think we can't do the next 10 things? We're not kind enough to ourselves and forgive ourselves enough to give ourselves the space to learn, to give ourselves the the ability to be brave. We don't... we don't also expect other people enough to give us space and, and to honor our bravery. Like a lot of people out there want you to succeed. They want you to do well. And they're not just friends and family. Coworkers want you to do well. They like you. You need to embrace that and let that comfort you. We always assume that the world is harsher than it actually is towards us. And we're too hard on ourselves in that regard. I think it's a lesson for everything, honestly, is to forgive yourself and to find the joy in a thing. And you will you will be able to do this not only longer, but in ways that you never imagined. Be open to that. Like, I didn't plan my career pretty much at all. Like, I never had a 10-year plan, a five-year plan. I'm not, you know, shoot by the shoot from the hip you know, crazy in that way. I I just don't set things in stone and make sure, oh, if I don't do this by this point, I'm a failure. Like I don't, I don't assign that to myself. I, I am open to something new. I give it a shot. And if I'm not good at it, but I enjoy it, then I keep at it. If I'm not good at it and I still don't enjoy it, then it's probably not something I want to do anyway. It'll probably like I spend a lot of time. So I pivot a lot. Like I didn't come in in 1997 in this field with any expectations of anything. I, I didn't even know what it was, to be honest. I, I just, I figured what's the worst that could happen? Nothing. I, I could go back to working at Best Buy where I was working at the time, or I can try a thing and just get paid to play on the computer all day long. That seemed pretty cool. And it just, I've just kept doing that. Development led to design, led to digital design, led to marketing, now what we call product design. I don't know. I just, as it comes in, I'm like, I'll try it. I'm that person. I'm like, I'll try it. What's the worst that can happen? It's because I'm forgiving of myself when it doesn't happen perfectly. It's okay. It happened in the way that I did it. I, I am me. 
with my flaws and my own quirky way of doing it. And I have to be at peace with that weirdness and that goodness too. Mm -hmm. And forgive myself when I don't do it exactly like my idols do it. You know, they didn't do things like the way I do it too. Right. So I think that I would, I would tell people who are getting into the field or in the field, forgive yourself, be good to you. Like, you know you more than anybody else and you know what you're good at like embrace that like we just don't do that enough i think yeah. we we think that being bad to ourselves is a sign of humbleness or maturity and it's not it's destructive and it's yeah. unnecessary yeah well thank you thank you thank you so much john for your words of wisdom and uh your time i really enjoyed our conversation today it's an absolute pleasure thank you for having me I just I love the opportunity to like talk with designers. I think that one of the things that keeps me motivated is being part of a community. It matters to me. Like it's cool that I get to do this nerdy thing, which I enjoy, and that other people get to do it too. Mm-hmm. And we make the world a unique and different place. And and lots of eyeballs get to see it, which is cool. I just love being part of a community that like gets you. And uh, it's everything to me. It's really special. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you are curious for more ways to invest in your EQ, to be a more empowered, educated, and effective designer, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N. T-O-B-E dot com. You can take our design process EQ quiz or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest design to be community building, live offerings, and self-inquiry guidance directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. Be sure to share this podcast with a fellow designer who's interested in investing in their EQ. And again, thanks so much for listening.